You know, I was recently reminded of a story of, um, about Steve Jobs, you know, the founder of Apple. Um, what's interesting, you know, he, he founded Apple Computers and um, he was very young when he founded Apple Computers and then he was fired um, from his role as the man in charge and he went off and formed another computer company that didn't do that great and in the process it, he, he bought Pixar and really turned Pixar into what it is today but he was trying to get back into Apple at some point because I mean he founded it, it was like his baby, he wanted to get back in there and he had a, a buddy of his, was a man named Larry Ellison. Anybody ever heard of Larry Ellison? Well, I hadn't either until I'd heard this story. But he founded a, a, another technolo technology company called Oracle uh, way back in the day. And Larry and Steve were buddies, and they would even go on vacation together, uh, their families. And they were walking on the beach one day uh, trying to conspire how to get Steve back into Apple. And they come. Larry had come up with this plan that he was going to round up some of his, you know, billionaire friends, and they were just going to buy Apple outright and put Steve Jobs back in as CEO. And um, Steve told Larry, he said, "I think I found a way to get back into Apple without us having to buy it." And uh, it, it ended up being what happened. But and Larry said, "Steve, but if we don't buy it, how are we going to make any money?" And Steve turned to Larry, and he said, Larry, this is why I'm one of your good friends. You don't need any more money. And Larry said back to Steve Jobs, he said, I know I don't need it, but why should somebody else get it? I want it. And uh, Steve just shook his head and went off and ended up getting back into Apple, and that's why we all have iPhones in our pockets now. But it's just interesting, their perspectives. Two different guys, both of them billionaires, Different perspectives. One wanted all the money he could wrangle, and the other one just wanted to do what he was passionate about. And it drove their decision-making processes. It really, what they were working for was completely different. But if we were to boil down our own, you know, our own thinking and motivations within ourselves, we have to ask ourselves sometimes the question is, what am I working for? I mean, really, what is the reason that I am working the reason there. Is it so that I can retire when I get to a certain age? Is it so that I can get an exact number in my bank account? Is it so that I can buy that car or so that I can afford to buy a new iPhone? So that I can, you know, just afford to put baloney on the table this week? Why am I working is a common question. And we can put out a lot of different reasons out there. You know, we can put a mission statement or, or things of that nature. But if we were really, truly, honestly, most of us, I won't say everybody, but if most of us were being transparent, we'd probably have to say, I'm working for money. I mean, we need money. Walmart doesn't take goodwill. You know, it's, I, I'm feeling good today, and so I should be able to buy all of the stuff I need. That's not what they take, right, Amanda? Walmart doesn't take, you know, your good feelings. No, they take money. That's, that's how you get food. Uh, and so some of us, most of us would say, well, I go to this job so I can get a paycheck, so I can afford to put food on the table, and someday in the future, hopefully, possibly, potentially, send my kids to school so that when I get old, they can take care of me. And, uh, you know, it's a cycle. So, I mean, we, we, we go through this, but the question comes down to it, as we're going to see today in the Scripture, what do you work for? I mean, really, truly, what do you work for? We're going to be in John chapter 6 today. 
Uh, if you're using a Bible on the rack there, it's on page 891. It'll also be on the screen, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, uh, it'll be on the screen as well. John chapter 6. And this teaching we're going to see today from the mouth of Jesus is really coming on the tail end of some of the most famous things Jesus has ever done. He, he fed the 5,000, you know, he had been teaching all day long, people were hungry, and he fed the 5,000, which we know it was more, they only counted the men, they didn't count everybody else in the crowd, but the people that, one of the people who was not counted was the one Jesus was counting on, uh, the little boy who brought the food that day, and Jesus fed everyone there. Then the disciples collected what was left over, and then... Jesus sent the disciples out on the water. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. A storm came up, and Jesus then walked on water out to the disciples. Jesus got in the boat with the disciples, and it says in Scripture, all of a sudden the boat was at the other side of the shore. So Jesus has fed the 5,000. Jesus walked on water to get to where the disciples were, and then we get to where we are now. This is the next day. All this has happened within, you know, 12 hours. Fed the 5,000, walked on water, Next day arrives in verse 22 of uh, John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor the disciples, they themselves got into boats, into the boats, and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they said, well, Jesus isn't here. We saw that the disciples got in the boat. He didn't get in the boat, and Jesus is gone. And they're all confused. You know, Jesus had dismissed the crowd to go and spend the night. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. They had seen him go up on the mountain to pray, but then all of a sudden Jesus is nowhere to be found, and they're confused. Where is he? He couldn't just sneak off. You know, how, how did he get away from us? Uh, and so all the boats are still there and not Jesus. And so they're trying to figure out where Jesus had gone. Now look at verse 25. Uh, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So the crowd gets into boats. They go to the other side of the sea. They find Jesus and they say, when did you get here? How did you get here? We were over here, we were blocking this road, we were waiting, looking out for you, we were over here trying to wait for you to go, we were down by the docks, you didn't get into the boats. When did you arrive to this side, and how in the world did you do it? They're just asking this question. And Jesus hears their question, and what's so great about Jesus, he doesn't answer their question. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus doesn't say at all how he arrived. They said, when did you get here? They're asking the when, but they're also inside of them. They're asking the how did this happen? And he doesn't ask, answer either one of those. Because the walking on water thing, how he got to the other side, wasn't for the crowd. Walking on water was really a miracle just for the disciples to know and experience. And later on, write down for us to see it here in Scripture. And so it's not for them, so he doesn't answer their question the way they want it to be answered. He says, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, we know that the crowd saw signs. They had seen him do miracles because he did them when, right before he fed the 5,000. He had done miracles. He had taught. He had healed people. He had taken care of them. 
They saw him feed the 5,000. That's a sign. That's a, a miracle. They didn't understand the signs that they saw. And so because they didn't understand the signs that they saw pointing to Jesus being the Son of God, because they didn't understand them, they dismissed them as being really all that important. And so they just dismissed them out of hand. And they came to Jesus, and Jesus really got down to the uh, uh, nuts and bolts of it here. And he says, you don't care about the signs. You're really just here because I fed you. You ate your fill of the loaves. They wanted Jesus to fulfill their physical needs, not necessarily their spiritual ones. They wanted more food from Jesus, more physical food, not the spiritual things that he was going to address, that he was about to address in this teaching. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So don't work for the food that perishes. Don't work for the food that perishes. You know, Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 4, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, that man will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, that uh, uh, the nourishing food, the food that provides strength in our day-to-day lives, just in existence, comes from the word of God. And Jesus actually said again back in John chapter 4 that his, his food is to do the will of him who sent me, God. His food is to do the words that God spoke to him and to live them out, to, to follow God's will provides the strength and the purpose in his life. And so he's, t- he's giving that instruction to them. So don't work for food that perishes, work for food that endures on into eternal life. He says, which the Son of Man will give to you? For on him God the Father has set his seal, God's seal, God's seal of approval. He says, God has given his seal of approval to his Son to live this out and give you the food that will nourish you for every single day that you need. Look at verse 28. So they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They said, okay, fine. Doing the will of God provides nourishment. Tell us what the will of God is. What works are we supposed to be doing? Again, though, Jesus' answer is is so fantastic. Verse 29. This is the work of of God, that you believe in him who who he has sent. So look at that verse for a sec. He says, this is the work. Believe. So the work of God isn't work. It's belief. So he's answering their question, but again, not in the way they anticipate. They want to know some... you know, a, a, a checklist of to-dos that they can do that day that will make God happy with them. And Jesus is telling them, guys, it's not about doing things to make God happy with you. God's will for your life is to believe in Jesus. Because if we were to, you know, pull out some scales here, and on one side you had the good things you could do in this world, and on the other side you had the bad things that you did in this world, when it comes to God's perfection... There's no amount of good we can do to outweigh the sin that we have done. You just can't. One sin makes us imperfect. And so because we are imperfect, we cannot be anywhere near God's perfection. Because what happens to perfection when imperfection gets near it? It becomes imperfect. And God's never going to be imperfect. And so God sent to rectify that problem by having his perfect son come and die and raise from the dead. And so by believing in Jesus, we can then approach perfection because our imperfection has then been paid for. 
And so he's saying the work to do the will of God is no work at all. It's simply belief. Because you, humanity, cannot work your way into God's good graces. And so that's why God came to us as Jesus, because he knew that. And so they said, what's the work of God? He says, well, it's not work. It is belief. Look at verse 30. So they said to him, okay then, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they said, how can we believe what you're saying is true? Jesus, we want you to prove it. We want you to do something miraculous. We know you fed the 5,000 yesterday. That was great and everything. But do something new today so that we can believe that what you're saying is authoritative. You need to prove that you have the authority to say what you're saying, Jesus. Prove it. You know, they said, Moses gave gave our ancestors manna in the wilderness every single day. And they were able to eat on that bread. So Jesus, do something like that. Now again, their motives aren't pure here. Remember, Jesus gave them bread the day before. They're really, again, wanting their physical needs met and not dealing with the spiritual. And so they're, they're asking this question. They're saying, Moses gave us all that manna. Now you, Jesus, do something in the same way. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So a couple verses ago, they said, what's the work that God wants us to do? And Jesus said, the work is not work, it's belief. And now they're saying, what do they say? They say, um, give us bread. And Jesus said, the bread of God is not bread, it's a person. So the work of God is not work, it's belief. The bread of God is not bread, it's a person. Now, this whole time, Jesus is building up to something, and he, he's, he's really pointing to it in his, in his inflection in the way it's written when he says, uh, uh, God gave the Son of Man, which was a title for the Messiah, the Son of God from Old Testament prophecy. God gave the Son of Man to give to the people everything they would need to nourish their lives. He's talking about himself, and they in the crowd would have gathered that. And so when he says they just have to, that, that the people just have to believe in the one the Son of God sent, or the one that God has sent, his Son. He's talking about himself, and they get that. And so he said, okay, well, prove it. Give us bread like the manna, the bread that was given in the wilderness. He says, the bread of God is, is a person, the one he sent. Again, everything he's saying is pointing to him. And the people still aren't picking up on it. Look at verse 34. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, tired of them not getting it. He says, I am the bread of life. uh, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he just lays it out for them. He's given them all these you know, teachings and, and directions. You got to receive the bread of God. You got to do the works of God. You got to believe. And they say, well, we still don't get it. Just give us the bread always so we're never physically hungry. Just, you're, you're not picking it up. He says, I am the bread. Me. I am the bread. It's not bread like I gave you yesterday. I am the bread. Verse 36. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast 
out. So he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. He's talking about people here. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. So everyone who comes to Jesus, what does he say? I will never cast out. Everyone who comes to Jesus will never be cast out. Jesus will never cast out anyone. He never throws anyone away. But we, we don't tend to do that in our own lives. We tend to throw people away. We tend to throw, whether we do it in our minds or in our hearts, or, or even if we just do it for a moment or a season, you know, we toss them away because they do something we don't like or they make a decision we're not you know, comfortable with or, or they offend us or, or they irritate us or we just don't happen to like them in the moment. And so we, you know, even just in the back of our minds, we just toss them away. Even if we're having a conversation with them in the moment, we just throw them away and don't take in anything they say. We, we count them as less than in that moment. But Jesus doesn't do that. Maybe we're doing it sometimes in retaliation because they first threw us away. You know, They said things about us. They offended us. They did things against us. They made us feel less than, so we're just going to strike them out of our database and not have to deal with them anymore mentally or, or you know, in our hearts. And, and uh, so we will toss them away. Or maybe somebody's, you know, they've done that to us, and so we just don't want anything to do with them. And, and we avoid them in Walmart. And we, we see them driving down the road, and we kind of look the other way and think ill thoughts. It, it changes our mood for the day because we just don't like them at all. And they're sandpaper people, and they rub us the wrong way. And uh, they're, you know, they're, uh, <laughs> they're, they're vampires. They suck the life out of us every time we get near them. We just don't want anything to do with them. And Jesus is saying, for him, he didn't throw anybody away. Even people who are deeply offensive, even people who are problems that we would consider problems, he didn't throw anybody away. But this is also a truth that we can take to ourselves that he never throws us away, ever, no matter what we do tomorrow, no matter what we've done yesterday, no matter what we do to somebody that we love, Jesus never throws anybody away. There's nothing you can do that would make Jesus say, well, that's it. I'm throwing them away now. That's not the way it works. I mean, look at Jesus' words. I will never cast them out. I will never throw them away. That, that's a promise. There's a period at the end of that sentence. There's not, except in the case of so-and-so in the year 2021, because they are really going to drive me up the wall, and it's going to be the, 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 the last straw is going to break the camel's back. It's over at that point. You know, no, he says, I will never cast anyone out. You come to Jesus, you cannot escape his grip. The imagery he speaks of in another passage is it's like when you get saved, you get placed in the palm of Jesus, and he wraps his hand around you. And then God's hand is wrapped around that, and you cannot undo that grip. I don't know who you are, but you're not stronger than God, and you're not stronger than Jesus. And so there's nothing you can do to pry off God's grip from you, to where he's just going to take you and chunk you out there. He doesn't cast anybody out. He doesn't throw anybody away. You may wish in your heart he threw some people away, because you're not a fan, but maybe in heaven your mansion is going to be next door to them, and you're going to have to get along for eternity. He doesn't throw anybody away. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many people in your life have thrown you away, Jesus doesn't ever, ever throw you away. Throw anybody away. Look at verse 38. After having just said, I will never cast anybody out. 
He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So that's the will of God. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. God's will is for eternal life to be handed out to everyone. That's God's will. That's God's plan that we mess up because of our sin. But his plan is for eternal life to be handed out to anybody and everybody who believes. And Jesus, he said there, that he came to do God's will. He came to do God's will. Hold on to everyone who believes on into eternal life. Because eternal life is the thing that matters. And the things of this life that impact eternity are the things that matters. Uh, things that matter. Look back at verse 27. Jesus had already spoken about this. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Do not work for the food that perishes. That word literally means ruins. Do not work for food that ruins. Do not work for things that are supposed to nourish you, but don't. That seem to nourish, but really don't. They mess you up. Do not work for food that ruins. But he says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. That word endures literally means remains. So work for food that remains on into eternal life. That will still exist beyond the end of this existence. So work beyond this on into what is to come. Don't work for anything that promises to nourish, that seems to nourish, but it only ruins. Only work for what remains into eternal life. Have you ever eaten something that was ruined? Have you ever eaten something that had turned or that had gone bad? Anybody? You ever eaten something that had gone bad? And you instantly knew it the moment you put it in your mouth? Yeah, that is not right. Or maybe you found out later on that day that what you had eaten had gone bad. Well, that's the idea. Don't work for things that ruin. Like, you work, you get paid, you go to the store, and you buy food. But when you go to buy food or you go to buy drinks and you're you walking around the store, like when you, when you open the, the door to get your milk out, and the milk in the front, the date is tomorrow, are you going to move past that one and see if there's a further date behind it? Can I get a consensus on that one? We don't always, often agree on everything, but I said we agree. Thank you, Margaret. Yes. Got an amen back there in the back. We'll agree on that one. If the date is tomorrow, we're going to start, okay. Oh, that one's in a month, and so we'll move all the ones out of the way to get the one that's the, even if it's the last, we're halfway in the cabinet to get the one, because we want to get our money's worth out of this deal, right? We get the one that's way in the back, and we, we, we feel accomplished. We, even if it's got a little dent in the corner, I don't care. If it's got the last date, and I really got my money's worth out of this deal. And, and so we'll bypass all of that because we don't want to buy something that expires tomorrow. We want to spend our money that we have worked so hard for on something that with the expiration date that's way down the line because it's going to last us. And that's the same idea Jesus is talking about here. He says, why work so hard for things that will expire 
so soon. Invest in the future. Invest down the road. Invest in other people's. Invest in the next generation's future. I heard a pastor this week on a podcast say, what is the faith of the next generation worth? Is it worth my inconvenience, my preferences, my intentionality, my money? Is it worth my investment in time? What is their faith worth? Is it something that will last, as Jesus said there in verse 27, on into eternity? Or is it something simply that will perish now? Why work for things that will perish now? Why work for things that will ruin now? But if you were to do a time audit of your life, how much of your time would you think you spend investing in things that will expire the moment you die? that are not going to matter in a thousand years. You won't say it, but I'll say it. I know I, I spend a lot of my time on things that are not going to matter in a thousand years. They're just not. I mean, if, I were to, if, if we were to make a list of all the things that we spend the most of our time on, and we walk into heaven with that list, and we say, Hey, Jesus, look what I did on May 23rd, 2021. Did I do good? I don't think Jesus is going to say, yeah, all those things on that list are fantastic. You just knocked it out of the park. All those things last into eternity. You think he will? Maybe, maybe you. All of you nailed it today. I know that I can say there's plenty of things, and it's only 10, 24 a.m. that are not going to last into eternity that I spent a lot of my mental energy on already today. And he's saying, why work for things that aren't going to last, that are just going to ruin there's some things we got to do in this world. It's just part of the world. I mean, the world is a broken system. And there's some things we got to do just to function in the broken system. But they should not occupy the majority of our investment here. He's saying, don't work for things that are going to expire. Work for things without expiration dates. Work for things without expiration dates that will never expire. Work... <laughs> This is not in my head. This just came to my head. Work for things without expiration dates. Work for spiritual Twinkies. <laughs> things that will last on into the next century, into the next millennia. Work for things without expiration dates. Things will never will expire in, in how we speak to each other, in the spiritual investments we make in our own lives, in the spiritual investments we make in the lives of those around us. Do you have that job you have to make money or do you have that job you have to, to invest Jesus into those people? I guarantee you Jesus didn't give that job for you to make money because you are the light of the world. Jesus is in you to be a light wherever he's placed you. You say, well, I'm retired. I don't have a job anymore. Well, you're in a neighborhood, aren't you? You got neighbors, don't you? You got kids, don't you? You got parents, don't you? You got friends, don't you? You got a church, don't you? Be Jesus wherever he's placed you. Be that light wherever he's... Be a light in light of eternity. Be a light in light of eternity. Because it will... Whatever we do, whatever we place uh, here needs to last on into eternity. We need to work for what lasts. The things without expiration dates the things that are not going to expire when we do, that will last on into eternity. And live our lives in such a way that it demonstrates Jesus at every opportunity. 
so that when we do die, maybe we won't even realize it for a while because we're living in such a way that eternity is reflected in our every single day so that maybe when we do die, we don't realize it for a while. How dedicated to eternity are you today? It's an every moment decision. Because I promise you, you can be, I, I, I can work this out in your head because I've worked this out in mine. I'm going to work for eternity today. And you work on it. Come 6 p.m. tonight, that's already out of your head because something happened this afternoon that blew that right out of the water. It's, it's a moment-by-moment moment dedication to the Lord. I, God, I'm going to, uh, Paul, Romans 12, make my life a living sacrifice. Living, breathing, sa- living, breathing sacrifice for you. At every opportunity, seizing every opportunity, realizing the urgency of the moment we have, and work for the things without expiration dates, which is the hope of eternity invested in the lives around us. But to invest the hope of eternity, you first have to have the hope of eternity. And so do you believe in Jesus, that he is God's son, that he died so all of your sins would be forgiven? And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. That is the hope of eternity. And I I spoke at this week at a a funeral. Eternal, Eternal life does not begin when you die. Jesus said in John 17, 3, it begins when you believe. And so if you believe in Jesus, your eternal life is now. So you don't have to think, well, someday I'll be living an eternal life in heaven and I can do certain things and act certain ways. No, if you know Jesus, you have eternal life right now. You have access to what you're going to have access to. You have opportunities you're going to have opportunities for. It's now. Eternal life is now. There will be a physical death at some point in between now and then. But your eternal life is already existing if you know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you can start your eternal life right now sitting in a green pew, walking green carpet before you walk out those doors. If you want to know Jesus, you can do it now and have eternal life now and have it settled forever and be in the midst of Jesus because as we read, he throws no one away. And so do you want to know Jesus? If you don't know him, I'm going to pray in just a second and give you an opportunity to know Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Because that's God's will for you, to believe in Jesus. Not simply to know about him, okay, Christmas, Easter, I got the whole shebang, but really to believe in him. To believe in him and allow his influence in your life. You can believe here in the room. You can believe in Jesus today. And I want to talk to you about that. After I pray and say amen, you can come and talk to me down front. When we dismiss, don't walk out those doors. You come to me. And I will talk to you about that. If you're online, or really, even if you're in the room, you can do this too. On our website, you can click, I made a decision. I showed you the, our website a minute ago in the service. Go back. On our website, we've got these little cards here at the, at the, uh, the main page. If it'll pull up. It's not going to pull up now that I'm at I, <laughs> There it is. You know, we've got the service there today. You've got the question sermon deal. You've got all these little cards here. And right there, I made a decision. If you click on that one, did you make a decision? Do you need prayer? Well, here it is. You say, okay, well, here's what the decision it was. And then you, okay, this is what my decision is. You type it in, you hit submit, it comes to my email right here on my phone. And I will call and celebrate with you, talk to you about that. You can do that whether you're in the room or you're watching online. If you're watching online, wherever you're watching, there's a little 
link below that says, I made a decision. You click on that link, it goes right to this page. And, and you can do that. And you can submit that and, and make your decision for Jesus today. Make your decision for Jesus today. Begin eternal life today and walk that path. But maybe you have, maybe you have eternal life, but you've spent many, many waking hours dedicated towards working on things that have expiration dates. And you need to begin to realign your priorities and realign your life to work for things without expiration dates in the lives of your kids, in the lives of your family, in the lives of uh, uh, your friends, in the, lives of, in the lives of some of you for your small groups that we're going to meet here in just a minute. That you need to invest in their eternity the things that will not expire in how you speak and how you pray. So are you invested in eternity? And how deeply invested are you? Because we're all going to eternity one way or another. Where are you going? How much are you taking with you?